Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And welcome to the season three finale, everyone. What a pair of episodes they are. Yeah. They're uh they're a lot, aren't they? They are indeed. But before we can get into any of that, uh I think it's prudent to go into our curious cat here because Due to the weird scheduling of the recording last week, there's a little bit of spillover regarding questions. So some of these questions were meant for the Moment of Truth episode, but ended up uh, missing the mark on the recording there. So we'll hit, go ahead and hit these uh, just, just to hit them, alright? Yes, that sounds good to me. So uh, this first one here, uh, after Huntara is teleported into Bright Moon... We don't see her again until Season 4, Episode 2. Presumably, a good bit of time passes between then and now. Does she just chill in Bright Moon for a month? Seems pretty funny. That does seem pretty funny. Yeah, I think probably. She's probably just hanging out. Just just, uh, kind of chilling, you know? Uh, Like... It's it's funny also because she, like, clearly hasn't been in the war room before. She's, like examining the like hologram map and everything she's uh she's experiencing what bright moon has to offer uh which is which is quite funny yeah i mean before she was in the the uh, the crimson waste her only other you know home was the horde so this bright moon magic tech is is probably kind of blowing her mind a little bit yeah definitely not the the aesthetic uh that she's used to for sure Actually, I wonder. I wonder how what her reaction was to the, uh, to the uh, the feather beds. I imagine it was probably very similar to Adora's. Oh, for sure. Maybe she just slept on the floor. <laughs> she probably slept on the floor. So here's another one. In this scene where Shadow Weaver is holding Glimmer's hand, was Shadow Weaver going to kill Catra? Do you think Glimmer or Bo looked at the situation differently after this scene? We covered this one, kind of. We we definitely decided that Shadow Weaver in that moment was going to kill Catra. Whether or not she would have regretted it after that is, you know, up for debate. But she was definitely going to kill her. Yeah, no, I I am I'm pretty convinced that she was in that moment anyway, like completely willing and ready to to take Catra out. And I think she was in that position um, for a couple of reasons. Like, a she probably was still holding quite a lot of resentment in her heart for Catra being partially responsible for basically casting her out of her position and also partially because you know she's finally regained um like a semblance of her power back um and she likes the idea of being able to to command that level of like fear and respect again that she could just end you at any time she wants um so so she wants she she likes to be able to flex that would she have regretted it? I still think she would have. I think that, you know, despite everything, like, Shadow Weaver does very much care about Catra. Um, 
obviously it's in that very particular way um, where that care is just corrupted and warped and twisted beyond all recognition um but like it does still exist so i think that she would have a lot of regrets from from following through on that indeed um and as for bow and glimmer i mean this kind of probably only reinforces their mistrust in shadow weaver after seeing that i mean oh big time sure they've had differences with Catra, but I don't think either of them want to see her, like... Dead. Killed. Yeah, no, like... Like, Bo had enough of a problem taking Catra prisoner. I don't think he'd be a very big fan of, like, uh, public execution. Uh, and this last one, uh, for the sort of spillover segment here, just real quick. I think that this episode is the moment where Catra's mental state begins to truly decline to the state we see in Season 4. I used to think it was last episode, but to me it's definitely this one. Last episode, there was still some rational thought in her decision to return. Her banishment and trapped and pulling the portal had none. What do you guys think? I think, yeah. I think that, like, the the steps towards the edge of the cliff um, were definitely, like... Like, she was walking towards the cliff this whole time. Like, she had a, she had a couple of seconds where she got pulled back from it a little bit by Scorpia but um but definitely moment of truth like the fact that she goes back to the fright zone she has everything that should mean that she wins that everyone should be proud of her that everyone should be celebrating her ultimate victory and she should get everything she wanted or at least that she thinks she wants and that just none of it's working out and no one seems to to think very highly of of the of what she's accomplished here um it's just it, it really it really does throw her over the edge this is the bit where she definitely like starts her horrible nosedive directly into uh the mental hell that she ends up in in uh in season four yeah it's 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 the it's the start of a fall and um season four is all falling yes it's kind of it's a, it's a long way down so why don't we waste no time because boy these episodes are meaty, folks. We have a veritable holiday feast for everyone for this Thanksgiving week. Yes, this is this is a this is going to be a long one. This actually, um, I I would not be shocked if this cracks the two hour mark for us or it gets close because because not only do we have these two episodes, but we got a very very big and important question waiting for us in the spoiler zone that we're going to really be cracking into. So let's go ahead and get into it with Remember, uh, Season 3, Episode 5. So this one, it, you know, these aren't, you know, this is, it doesn't say Part 1 and Part 2, but it's definitely, you know, meant to be that. It's a two-parter. Yeah, it's... it's a two-parter, right? Like, this is, this is, like, it leads, it's got a cliffhanger, it leads into the next episode. They're largely incomplete without each other. It's it's a two-parter. Um, and, and remember opens up with these really unsettling vibes right like adora wakes up in the horde barracks right she's still she's in her horde uniform she's basically everything has kind of been reset like it, it takes the opening of remember takes place after the battle of thamor which is the one where Adora um, turncoats, 
but instead in this reality she didn't and in fact um made she was instrumental in making the battle of Thamor go in the horde's direction and you know her and catcher are still inseparable and best friends and and having a good time but the the vibes the atmosphere it's all wrong it's all incorrect it feels it doesn't feel good yeah the um it's 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 all it doesn't help that adora keeps getting flashes to what really happened but even without that it just you know it's really kind of nasty the vibes are rancid um like it's really good to see catcher and adora piling around again but there's this pall over it where you know that none of it is real um and that really comes home when you know they're in they're in the locker room they uh the the cadets have made like a, a ration bar cake for adora uh in celebration which was apparently catcher's idea when you know shadow weaver rolls in it's like get off the floor adora you're a force captain you're not a kid anymore and she goes to, she goes as she goes to catra and instead of scolding her saying oh you're such a terrible influence on adora she wipes some cake off of her face and it's like look you're a mess come on uh, i have really high hopes for both of you which is where we get the first indication that this portal reality Maybe uh, influenced by Catra more than a little bit. Yeah, it's like it's 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 very it's very weird. So the the way this reality is structured is functionally Catra's like perfect world, right? Like it's it's all this like extremely projected view of things you know you have shadow weaver is like nurturing and caring and only wants what's best for the two of them the cadets are her friends and like spending time with her and listen to her ideas yeah you have um adora being a force captain is like a good thing for katra here she's like she hasn't settled into being like the background character like she was in the way that it worked originally she's like much more active and is leading adora more than adora is leading her but she also kind of like there's these situations that are constructed so that adora kind of comes to her defense so like you know clearly catcher does like feeling defended and taken care of by adora too you know despite how much she would obviously claim the contrary um i mean it's projection city it's all projection city everything is just like changed slightly to make it exactly the way that catcher would have wanted it to be which brings up interesting questions so everyone else in this portal reality is just kind of you know suckered in by it including adora for a little bit but she pretty quickly figures out something's going on um but you know everyone else until they're told until they're until they have the imperfections pointed out to them they kind of go along with it but catra seems to be more aware of things than most of the other characters are she reacts to Adora's, you know, suspicion very differently 
you know, she's always reassuring Adora that everything is perfect. She's always trying to keep Adora from, like, going down paths that would lead her to the sword and, and to Bright Moon and to all of this kind of stuff. She wants to keep her in the Fright Zone more than anything. So how much is she really in control? And this is this is one of the really important questions of the episode, I think. Because the, the implications for the her her cognizance of the situation are are interesting right if she's not cognizant that's a very 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 different scenario than if she is and i think largely the text points in the direction of her being if not a hundred percent at least eighty percent aware that not only is this like not real but that very specifically this is basically her reality to shape the way she wants and you know she she has the ability to basically rewrite people to to make them act the way that she would like them to act like um like scorpio is another good example right she's been rewritten to be like very respectful of personal space and functionally a background agent um really no different than any of the other nameless well not nameless but any of the other barely touched upon force captains which you know like that's i mean it's a little messed up isn't it katra she is the one who pulled the lever so logic dictates she will be the one who decides what's going on in here but like you know, is this a First One's piece? Because remember, this is First One's tech. And First One's tech loves to dig around in people's brains to figure out how best to mess with them. So this would fit in with that sort of uh, precedent. But she is at least somewhat aware of what's happening, at least as much as everyone else. Well, slightly more than everyone else. I would say at least as much as Adora is. Yeah, I think certainly. I, honestly, I would say more than Adora. I think that she is... I, I think she is definitely pretty... The, the question to me is not, is she mostly aware that she is in control of reality? Because I, I, I think the answer to that is a very decided yes. I think the the better question actually is, how much is she deliberately trying to ignore that? Because I, I'm, I, looking back on it, like, like having rewatched it, right? Is I'm wondering how much of like her telling Adora that everything's perfect, all you have to do is just stay, you know, don't worry about it, everything will be fine. Like, how much of that? is her specifically trying to manipulate Adora and how much of it is her trying to tell that kind of to herself to try and like ignore the reality of the situation and just try to live in her own projections. I mean, how often have we seen that Katra's primary response to trauma or emotional distress is denial like that has been her her jump to that has been uh, number one in the playbook right yeah so it would definitely make sense if there was this cognitive dissonance 
where she knows she pulled the lever and she knows that all of this is fake, but she doesn't want to let it go because she's got everything she's ever wanted right here. So I, I definitely think she's put herself into this mindset where she just can't allow herself to acknowledge it. And really what her like anger at Adora keeping, you know, pulling at the seams is, is that she can't keep ignoring it. Exactly, exactly. It's like she keeps getting progressively angrier at Adora as the episode goes on, but it's like and we'll 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 get into this a little more, but a lot of the anger that Catra is having is just so misplaced and it's all getting projected onto Adora. You know, no matter what it is, she is she is taking that anger and she is convincing herself that every ounce of it is directed at and should be directed at Adora. And yeah, it's she she's trying so, she's trying so hard to avoid having to confront the truth and it's it's interesting because it's like you have this situation where she is both being actively manipulative but she is also spiraling into her own trauma responses it's 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 a very interesting dynamic they've kind of created here yes i mean we have if we it is probably uh no 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 stretch no reach to say that this episode is definitely some kind of metaphorical you know thing about gaslighting here i mean um but it is definitely more complex than just that katra is going through so much on her own end that will eventually be her own undoing um it's it's all very interesting once you once you watch through with that lens yes exactly exactly um there's there's actually there's there's quite a lot of a lot of explorations of this of this concept in the episode but we'll 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 try and save most of the discussion for for that for a little bit later for now we we continue on the episode Katra ends up um trying to kind of shake Adora out of this you know she's like oh you need some air we need to go outside and they kind of time skip to being on on uh Katra's perch and you know adora's like you know how did we get here oh we walked up you know she's adora is aware that her memories aren't lining up that things aren't correct nothing is making sense right like like things just aren't working the way they're supposed to but you know catcher's still trying to convince her just just stay you know stay with me you know there's, there's a lot of big ticket lines in this episode actually yeah you know to keep an eye and some certain words that will uh, maybe pop up later down the line, such as stay with me, uh, usually accompanied by, you know, hand holding, which is interesting. This is another parallel. So in episode two, after she defects, uh, Adora grabs Catra's hands and says, come with me, defect with me. Um, and here it is, it is Catra taking Adora's hand and, and, and asking her to stay with her. To not follow these thoughts down to their, you know, inevitable conclusion. There is also Catra assuring Adora that she didn't make a cake uh, for her because she likes her or anything. Which, you know, these these lines, they will become important. These these parallels and these motifs w- will be pulled upon later. But we can't talk about much of that right now. Yes, yes. It's 
they're they're very critical lines like not because i like you is also a, like a really critical and we, we we've had this before this is this has happened a couple of times actually i think um what was it i think yeah so no princess left behind was not be, there was a not because i like you when katra gives her uh the sword back i think there's one other one as well it's in promise probably if i had to guess yeah i believe it's also in promise so yeah we we've gotten this a couple of times you know like not because i like you you know this very like protest too much style line it's there's 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 a lot of a lot of parallels in this episode in fact you really can't walk two feet without running into a parallel they're all over the place uh in both of these episodes and beyond um but perhaps we'll get there eventually so one thing that that kind of gets Adora, you know, to to think and remember is that she keeps seeing this weird old lady running around and in butterflies, and and she keeps getting like weird phantom notes dropped in her lap that say things like Mara and Shira, and all of this stuff. Yeah. So it turns out, uh, Madame Raz is back. Um, why she's in the fright zone? Who's to say? But she is she is here and. She's trying to get Adora's attention. She's trying to get her attention and, like, tell her what she needs to do to actually fix the situation, right? Like, Adora ends up chasing her down eventually and finds her, and she's like, you know, is any of this real? What is happening? And she's like, well, sorry to say, yes, it is real, um, and reality is collapsing, but you can still fix it. You just got to go back to the beginning, you know, and this very cryptic, like, what is the beginning? What does that mean? I tried finding the portal and it, and I couldn't, you know, and she's just, she's like, okay, well, you, you don't actually, you don't have to, you don't have to understand. You just have to remember, which is again, just classic, classic cryptic nonsense, um, for Madame Raz. And then she promptly gets <laughs> she promptly gets uh Louis Swat a little bit. Well not quite yet. That's not until the second episode. She just like falls over a cliff. Uh, or she like like she and Adora get separated and she goes, Find me in the woods, dearie. Right, right. Yes. Because the entire fright zone is uh exploding and everyone is getting erased. Yes. Adora like stumbles on Lonnie, who's like, Whoa, hey, what's going on? Um and she's like, where's Kyle and Rahelio? And Lonnie says, who? Uh, you know, importantly enough, people who don't know that things aren't, you know, going well can't see the collapsing reality. They don't have the they live glasses on. But once Adora tells Scorpia that something is wrong, and once Scorpia starts to realize that she too can see, like, you know, big flashes of light and cracks in the sky, all this sort of incredibly apocalyptic stuff going on. So... That, that is when sort of Adora, you know, tr- kind of tries to get Lonnie to safety. Lonnie gets caught by the portal and also erased. Yes. So at that, at that point, at that point, she is, she is trying to, to get to the actual portal chamber. And this is when she like, uh, goes to try and find Scorpia. Cause Scorpia, of course, is the, is the only person who knows that everything isn't perfect like she she runs after after everyone gets disappeared she runs into katra who you know she's she's like once again you know everything is perfect or whatever but edward's like no 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 no. scorpion knows that something's up scorpia gets it i need to find scorpia so she does 
and Scorpia understanding that everything isn't perfect is very interesting, I think, because the thing is that the people who are aware that the reality isn't right are the people who have had, I think, their lives rewritten the hardest and have had, like, very recent stuff going on. You know, like, Adora, obviously. And, and with Scorpia, her life has been rewritten in such a way as that Catra has basically put her in the same position she was in like before they ever met like Catra wants to get her basically entirely out of her head and that's just not that's not gelling with her like that's not working because they they've had a very complicated relationship they've had a very like they they've had a lot of time to spend together and you know Scorpia basically having uh her brain rewritten to say like you know you basically don't even know each other. You basically, like, don't interact, you know. It's just, it's not, that's not sticking. That's not holding together. Yes, and um, so they so they, they, they try to find the portal in, in Hordak's Sanctum. It's not there. Everything starts collapsing. That's that's a point where, where everyone is gone. Adora just grabs Catra and, like, tries to convince her to leave, but Catra is still denying that anything weird is going on. So, uh, in another parallel, Adora tases Catra with one of the stun batons and steals a skiff, much like episode one and episode two, where they stole a skiff and uh, Catra tased Adora a couple of times actually. But this, they, they Catra kind of wakes up on the skiff. They fight. It crashes, and this is kind of where we get the final confrontation uh, between these two in this episode. Where, once again, Adora tries to get her to come with her, right? She tries to get her to go with her. Meanwhile, Catra is just remembering all of the times that they've fought and all of the times that she just felt like Adora has abandoned her. And what is the thing that she sees last? What is the thing she remembers last? Oh, God. The last thing, the last thing she remembers is well it's a couple of things that she remembers right and and the thing the thing about her remembering also that's interesting to note is that every other time that she should have had like a memory flash she didn't it's this specific conversation that she actually starts having them and you get you get the promise uh, as adora is saying you know everything we can we can fix this i promise you know as long as we stick together everything will be okay and she gets the the flashback to the actual promise and then she also gets a flashback to when she was she was telling Katra she was like hey come with me we can still fix this and it flashes back to the present where she's like you know we can fix this we can make everything okay you just have to come with me it's really it's really rough yeah this is where Katra just fully rejects Adora she starts this is this is where she becomes Joker yes we were talking about it two episodes ago no 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 this is Joker Katra she's just like are you kidding me you always say like this I don't care like I'm not gonna let you win I will let the whole world burn yeah just so you don't win yeah she's she she's like you got you you have to ruin everything you know don't you get it i'm never ever going to go with you like she this is 
this is i think like the final rejection this is like the rejection you know everything is falling apart this is the last possible chance that she had to turn back she she had this one final opportunity to turn around and she chose not to because she would rather die in a fantasy than live in reality and yet again here we are with catra and adora one of them is dangling over a cliff one of them is reaching out this time it's catra dangling over a cliff it's adora reaching out and what does catra do well she lets go and falls into oblivion yes she 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 lets go and it's uh it's a lot it's so much which is when you know we we get um we get adora just just you know one of one of several times in these two episodes she just kind of collapses in tears she uh she doesn't take it well at all she's just kind of curled up on the forest floor uh but then she finds raz who is like you you can save all of them you just have to like you got to go back to the beginning. You got to find the sword. Um and Adora just she's like, I, I I I I don't know how to do that. I went back to the beginning. I went back to the fright zone. And Raz's like, "No, you no you dumb. That's not where it began. You know where it began, which is when uh when she remembers where it all began. Where the where did it all begin? Well, that be- it began with her friends, Bo and Glimmer. So she runs off, um, and this is where Raz has her Archon Louisois moment where she just faces oncoming destruction with a look of complete serenity. Yes, she gets she gets subsumed by light, and and then Final Fantasy XIV starts, and you have to you have to make your character. If you don't know who Louisois is, don't worry, you definitely know who he is. You ever seen a, a gif of an elf who is like getting blasted with light, but he's smiling? That's him. Yeah, that's him. Uh, he's don't worry about him. He's not important to any story ever. Well, he was important to Final Fantasy Online 1.0. Well, no one's ever played that game, so that's okay. That's true. But yeah, that uh, that finishes up. Remember, uh, I'm sure this will be as a, as intense as it gets. Uh, this will be nothing bad can happen. Oh, hang on a minute. I'm looking at our notes. Ah, uh, yeah. Sp- spoke a little too soon on that one. Seems like maybe maybe things might get worse let's i was incorrect yes so we're, we're continuing our our steep nosedive here with uh with portal which uh starts out with a shot of bright moon and we have we have our our fun bright moon family all reunited you know we got we got uh, micah's alive uh glimmer is kind of a little more a little more immature like a little more childlike um and and uh angela is there and they're they're having kind of family fun times it seems very carefree it seems like everything is you know quote unquote perfect yes everything is fine there's no fright zone anymore obviously so there's no war um so they're just free to sort of uh frolic and and play and and be peaceful as they've always wanted so yeah, Micah is here. You know, you almost brush over that, but it's pretty important. Micah, someone we've only seen as like you know, uh, mosaics on the wall. He's here, 
and he is voiced by probably the other biggest name in the show, that being uh, character actor Daniel Day Kim. So Daniel Day Kim, um, you know, he, he's he's a pretty fairly well known uh, character actor. He was in the Hawaii Five O reboot. Uh, he was in Lost. You know, I, I think he was in Crazy Rich Asians somewhere. But a lot of people might know him from somewhere else, from a, from a certain series of wacky open-world video games. Yeah, uh, uh, this particular individual happened to play Johnny Gat. Johnny Gat, the gun-toting uh, bad boys from the Saints Row franchise. He's here and he's dad. He's here and he's dad. Um, it's... It's it's interesting that Micah is here, right? Like, why would the the portal fake reality inject Micah into it if he's dead? Like, what's what, what would be the point of that? Especially if Katra is the one who's kind of controlling the portal reality and making it a big projection of her mind. Well, it's possible that uh, now that Katra's, you know gone functionally that control of the parole fantasy has been transferred to someone else and it seems like the person it's been transferred to is uh angela now you would say i hear you i hear you asking the question why isn't it glimmer well let's go over it here shall we so step one glimmer didn't really know her dad that well if at all like the memories are very vague and i'm sure she wants him back but certainly not as badly as his wife would right like angela has been tortured by the guilt of 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 sending him to his death or how how she thinks she did uh send him to his death this whole show so obviously in her perfect world that never happened and also glimmer it seems to be a little bit less uh you know headstrong a little bit less adventurous and and much more you know like in line with Angela's Angela's expectations, not in necessarily like a creepy way, but just in a way that's like, no, they're just a happy family now. There's no friction. There's no, you know, if you'll remember, their last conversation really went quite badly. Like it was some very hurtful things were said in moment of truth, and so you know, I think she would be wishing that that never happened. Exactly. Like that was that was a very brutal conversation that ends up happening. A lot of stuff gets aired out that really shouldn't have been in that format. And, you know, it kind of tracks that Angela would want to imagine a world where they were a happy, unbroken family uh, without that friction. You know, she wouldn't imagine a world where there's none of this pressure of of a war there's none of this expectation that glimmer has to be anything but her daughter you know you have like everything is fine and then some random person wanders out of the woods and tries to break into glimmer's room yeah which as far as plans go i feel like feel like Adora maybe should have thought that one through just a little bit, but, you know, I mean, she is in kind of a rush. So, yes, the mysterious forest person is, in fact, Adora. She's trying to get a hold of Bo and Glimmer, try and, like, m- you know, make them aware of the situation and try and fix everything. Uh, this doesn't go particularly well, obviously, and she's taken into custody and brought before 
the throne in the, the, the throne chamber. Another fun parallel to season one. Yep, except this time the king and queen are seated there. Um, and Micah casts a truth spell, which uh, we saw cast a spell I tried to do on Shadow Weaver a few episodes back. Um, except this one seems to work. But the problem is that Adora's truth, uh, it's its a bit hard to swallow for everyone involved. Yeah, she, well, first off, Adora is not very good at explaining these high concepts. You know, A, because she's not good at explaining things generally, and B, because she's actually quite high-strung at the moment, understandably. <laughs> she The first thing she says, it was like, oh, Micah, you're alive? Wow, you look different than you look in your paintings. Um, we should also mention that before this, uh, she does actually get managed to, you know, kind of make contact with Glimmer before being dragged away. And that, and that moment of recognition kind of kind of starts stirring something within Glimmer's mind. And so she goes to get Bo, her, her good friend Bo, uh, who was just a big, meek nerd. He's a big old book nerd in, in this particular reality, which is, it's, it's a little weird. I'm not 100% sure necessarily why he's... Well, think about it like this, right? Bo learned to do all that stuff because he wanted to help the Rebellion, because he wanted to help his friends, right? If there's no war, then I guess Bo really doesn't have that drive to seek out, you know, to teach himself archery and learn how to build stuff. And all of that stuff is just still kind of kept tamped down, right? Like... So he's he's just the the put upon librarian yet again uh, here in this quote unquote perfect world. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. But yes, they uh, they're interrogating her, and no one really wants to hear about anything she's saying. It's like, oh, everything here is fake. Uh, the world is exploding. Oh, and Micah, you're dead, which really goes over like a brick. Yeah, Angela does not take that particular line very well. Like. That is the one that really sends her over the edge. Like, she just completely retreats into the fantasy. She refuses to acknowledge that. You know, take her away. Take her to the prison cell, a.k.a. the spare room. <laughs> which let's, which is another great detail. There's so many wonderful details in these two episodes. Uh, my favorite is probably one, yet again, spare room joke. A nice, a nice callback. But also, the spare room they take her to is not the one they have Shadow Weaver in. No, it's Adora's room. Yes, it is. It is Adora's. So obviously they have a few spare rooms, but, you know, they, they specifically pick the one that Adora ends up living in. And it's 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 a really interesting detail. Like, it's a really cool little touch to just make it feel even more like familiar and unfamiliar yeah so this is where Bo and glimmer teleport in and they're like okay what was all that nonsense you spouted there and this is where adora sort of continues acting completely unhinged uh, i was like listen listen you're Bo. you're like a, you're like the, the the coolest guy i know you save our butts so often you make stuff you're the world's best archer glimmer you're like a you're like a brilliant battle commander you're headstrong you're stubborn you're always raring to get into the action and both of them are just like whoa 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 hold on now yeah they're like what are you talking about you know i'm just a princess i don't do anything and bo's like i'm just a book nerd i don't do anything but 
the seeds are sown in their minds and they can't stop thinking that maybe what she's saying is true because not only does everything feel wrong but you know glimmer glimmer very clearly points out you know this doesn't make any sense you know my dad's never messed up a spell he's the best sorcerer who has ever lived there's no way that he would just do the spell wrong so something's up so this is the what uh, i think this is what makes them sort of second guess it and as and as we know as soon as you start second guessing things guess what you the the they live glasses come on and now Bo and glimmer can see the world is exploding outside so they decide well we obviously have to do something about this and adora says all right do this the the uh the good old-fashioned best friend squad way which uh which involves she kicks the door down and <laughs> she involves kicking the door down saying uh run go 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 and sprinting down the hallway like in this in this really like lupin the third like castle of cagliostro moment it's it's a really like good shot she's got this like really like curled lip smirk going on yep um, who would have thought that uh, the character who would get the Lupin moment was Adora, of all people? Yeah, it's... Hey, you know what? It's pretty good. I, I quite like it. It's great. So they are, they are running, and they, they, they kind of get cornered because the portal disappears a door. Um, and they, they get cornered by Angela and Micah, who are like, Why are you with my daughter? What is going on here? And I think this is this is the moment where Glimmer just tells her mom, no, she's right. Like, this is wrong. We have to fix this. And that's where Angela starts to remember as well. And she starts to realize that, like, Micah's dead. Yeah, things, things are not correct. And before she really gets to have a long conversation like like this 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 is actually a very very interesting scene because this is actually the last thing glimmer ever this is the last interaction the two ever have glimmer and her mom they like glimmer specifically is like she 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 takes the time to apologize for the the last conversation that they had she she takes the time to while while this is all going on she's you know she's like i'm i'm sorry for what happened i you know this but we need we need to fix this and angela isn't really given the opportunity to respond because then the floor kind of collapses under them and they got they get portal teleported somewhere else so they fall through the floor um, and who do they find but Entrapta, who is apparently living beneath Bright Moon. Actually, it's way weirder than that. They get transported to Drill. Yeah, they the, the portal's um, behavior for just taking you where you're intending to go, you know, just immediately is uh is is really getting out of hand because like before it was like oh we're gonna teleport you like you know a bit you know within the fright zone you know within the castle but now it's like across the whole like country basically yeah so they find entrapta down there and she's built lots of robot friends including a robot version of scorpia and hordak which is i wish we got to see them more outside of that initial shot they kind of go away after that, but they're there. 
Yes, it's it's a very it's a really sad detail, frankly. It's this whole the whole way this scene ends up is very sad. So they are like they they are um, they're trying to get some information out of her because she's the one who would know what to do, and indeed she has already figured it out. She knows exactly what's going on. The portal is eating reality, and eventually it will it will keep expanding until there's nothing left, uh, which is bad. Which is bad, and she 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 doesn't like really remember any of them um she understands what's going on but she has yet to like actually remember uh what's happening that is up until yeah up until um up until they kind of talk until adora mentions you need to remember how to stop it you and hordak built the portal and then it all comes crashing down um she remembers oh yeah i had a lab partner we were you know we were friends and we had good times and i'm not uh i'm not actually here yeah she she remembers she's not actually here this is not none of this is real none of this is uh you know and she she starts thinking about it she's piecing the 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 puzzle pieces together and she's like you know I, this this it's all centered on you it's this is all because of the sword you know you need to get the sword and the po- the portal is honing in on your location you need to you need to get to where that is and you need to remove it uh to stop it but if you do you're going to be trapped in this like collapsed wormhole forever you know just late stuff uh eternal purgatory all that sort of thing yeah while this is going on we see bright moon castle collapsing and angela is looking on it and and, you know she's she's talking to mike and she says it all it all is perfect you're right but you're not real i can't just stay here chasing these memories i have to go save glimmer and her friends um, and says goodbye to him and flies away. And right before he's consumed, she he tries to tell her something. He says, "But I'm not." And then uh, gets gets portaled. So I'm I'm I don't know what any of that means. Who's who's to say what that means? It it could be anything, really. But best friend squad, they get portaled again. They uh, they get they get dropped right in the middle of the forest. Um, actually, they get dropped right in front of the beacon. Where uh, where Raz and, and Adora first met, and Adora is really just like she's taking the revelation that the portal has been following her uh, really hard, as is her want. Yes, she's starting to feel she's feeling like this is all her fault. That 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 concept is getting stronger and stronger and stronger in her head. You know. First, it's the fact that this is this portal has happened because she got captured. It's it's happening because this she had the sword. It's happening because you know now now she's 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 dragging the portal with her and consuming all of her friends and loved ones. It's this is all it's it's too much. She can't stop it, and it's all her fault anyway. So she's gonna try and give her friends as much time as she possibly can and she's going to try and draw the portal away she's going to try and and sacrifice herself 
for the sake of whatever's left of the world that she feels that she's ruined. And her friends stop her. They're like, listen, you you know us. Well, we know you. We know how you are. You're stubborn and you're headstrong and you're selfless and you will always sacrifice yourself for everyone else, but you can't do that. You're the only one who can who can save this situation. You're the one who has to, you know, you, you deserve to, to make it out of this just as much as any of us do. And, you know, we believe in you. And they say that as they also kind of disappear. Yeah, we, we should, we, we, we would be, uh, we shouldn't miss. Before that, uh, Adora is looking up at the sky and notices that the stars are back which is bad because reality is breaking down worse than she thought. Then she looks down and locks eyes with Mara. Yes, Mara Mara briefly appears in front of the beacon uh, before the beacon itself kind of gets portalized. But yes, that's uh, just, just, remember, just uh, mentioning that detail because we'd certainly get emails about missing that if we didn't. It is a it is a big moment. This is the first time they kind of interact directly. Yes, it's it's a big important moment. It's a big important piece of of foreshadowing. But yes, yeah, so let's get back to the happy stuff, right? Let's get back to Adora, alone, in the forest, surrounded by the void, curled up into a ball and weeping. Yes, curled up into a ball and weeping. All of her friends are gone everything feels utterly hopeless she does not know what to do she's gone to all of the beginnings that she could think of right she ended up in the forest in the spot that uh her and katra originally you know crashed their skiff and she found the sword they ended up you know she ended up back at bright moon castle where her friends were you know she ended up back at the beacon all of these beginnings but none of them were the right one and she doesn't know what to do now and at that moment, and then, and then, Catra appears. Uh, we forgot to mention there's a slight stinger at the end of the first half of the finale where we see her crawling out of the portal and she looks all corrupted. This is the first proper debut here with a fantastic Hey Adora. And Catra. Uh, is not looking too good also she's looking great though this is a sick look it's a it's a totally sick look like the like the eye and the and the right arm just being like this like negative void space outlined by like the breaking down of reality like pink glow it's it's really strong like it's a it is a very very good visual but but yeah she shows up and she delivers maybe the best and thematically the worst possible hey adora um really in the whole show and she proceeds to just eviscerate adora physically and verbally as she just basically portals them around to all of the sort of different places they've they've encountered each other before the Crimson Waste, the uh, the Arctic, the battlefield at Bright Moon, the uh, the ruins underneath the beacon—all of this stuff just keeps uh, popping up, and 
Catra is just delivering this monologue, just destroying it. Or she's saying, all of this is your fault. If you hadn't picked up that stupid sword and been the world's worst She-Ra, none of this would have happened. And there's one thing. There's one thing I want to draw particular attention to. Um, she says, if you hadn't come through that portal in the first place, none of this would have happened. Yeah, she basically just straight up says, if you'd never been born, then everything would have been fine. Now, yeah, she basically says that. But here's the important thing. I don't think Katra knows that. I don't think Katra knows that she came from a portal. That is true. That's a good point. And there is uh, a body of thought. Um, and and we're, we're really going to dig into this, actually. Uh, not in, in, in today's spoiler zone, but when we get to the emails, there is, there is a very specific body of thought in which, you know, Katra uh, being... Uh, corrupted by the portal you know becoming one with the portal you know has she been granted insight and knowledge that she shouldn't have because of because of kind of being dispersed into into the portal energy yes shout out to our patron and frequent emailer sean montgomery who sent us the uh, the very thing we'll be digging into next week regarding that but uh, that's just a little taste just think about that just think about that little that little uh, nugget there yeah rotate that one in your mind we'll be we'll be uh we'll be really digging into that one uh come uh come next week so they they kind of continue their i hesitate to call it a fight it's mostly just catra toying with adora um until they finally end up in the bridge of mara's ship and Catra says, you broke the world. This is all your fault. And that is what finally gets Adora to reject this line of thought. Like, all of this punishment she's taking, she stands up and says, and refuses that. She says, no, I didn't. I didn't break the world, but I am going to fix it. Yeah, she, like, this entire episode, and really the buildup to this episode also, so much of Adora's thought process has been that, like, this is her fault that that she is responsible not just for fixing it but she is responsible for creating the issues she has a lot of guilt over all of this over how Catra's become the way that she is she she feels like she's failed in so many ways and that she's the one who's primarily failed the people in her life but Catra's monologue here this 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 final teardown that she really starts ripping into adora about this is the moment when adora is she's confronted by these thoughts she is she is confronted by this thing she's been trying to avoid confronting for a while in her own head and she does she rejects it she she understands no this isn't her fault she didn't cause this you know other people's decisions the mistakes they've made are not her doing you know katra has made a lot of bad decisions and it's not her fault that those decisions happened and there's a very specific line that she ends up delivering which is that not only did she not break everything and she's going to fix it but that Katra made her choice and now she has to live with it and and that's it's it's one of the rawest lines in this entire show frankly she yeah she, she 
Catra has been trying to, like, escape into oblivion, basically. She's, you know, trying to drag the entire world down with her to escape. The th- she doesn't want to think about what she did. This is a common theme with Catra. She doesn't want to have to sit down and consider her actions and the consequences thereof. So, yeah, Adora basically says, no, you don't get to do that this time. You have to live with this and just punches her right across the face and just knocks her out. It just really knocks the girl straight on her ass. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, it's a great, it's the perfect rebuttal to this, this internal and external conflict. And it really sets up the themes moving forward. It's, it's, it's a great, great little piece of, of of cinema here which we're we're gonna really get into the nitty-gritty of in a little bit here but um after after this confrontation happens um adora ends up at the actual beginning the beginning beginning the portal that she actually came through as an infant and above her you know swirling in this this big vortex is the sword of protection suspended there keeping the portal open and she has no idea how she's going to get up there but conveniently somebody shows up at the last second the one who escaped managed to escape everything the one who was uh who, who flew away who you know she's some kind of angelic being i'm sure she has some kind of resistance to this it's angela she's here uh, and she's ready to help she's like all right I, I know this everything looks bad, but you say you can fix this, right? So what do we have to do? And Adora says, well, it's it's really simple. All I have to do is get up there and pull the sword out. Easy peasy. And Angela says, oh, sick. So you're going to be fine, right? And no, no. Adora is like trying to dance around it. She doesn't want to meet that question head on. She won't say she's not going to be fine. She won't say that she's not coming back. What she says instead is, I have to do this. This is my destiny. And again, that's another, like, Adora has confronted part of her internal situation, but there's still so much more to deal with yet. You know, she has the, she may not feel at this point like she has personally ruined the world, but she still feels like it is her responsibility to sacrifice anything required to make it fixed. And she still believes it is her destiny to, like Mara, sacrifice herself in her entirety for the sake of, of everyone else. And Angela is not willing to accept that. She does not accept that that's Adora's destiny. So... So she, she makes a decision. She tells Adora. She she says to Adora, like, "Let me tell you something. Let me. Let, I I have been a coward, you know, my whole life, pretty much. It's my great. All of my greatest regrets are tied to this. But like, I'm not gonna let another one go by. I'm not gonna let you stand by and sacrifice yourself needlessly for this. You you are the one who has kind of." stood above everyone else and showed me what, you know, bravery looks like. And, you know, not just as Shira, but as Adora. And, you know, your friends need you. And you can't just go away and 
stay locked in a wormhole forever. So she decides, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to do it. And she does so. She just... She flies up and um, grabs onto the sword. And her last words to Adora are, take care of each other, as she just, you know, pulls the sword out of the uh, the portal machine. She pulls the sword out of the portal machine and is instantly vanished. The, the portal is gone, and so is she, and the sword just kind of floats down gently onto the onto the purple grass and and she's she's gone she's like we said in the spoiler zone of last episode actually like the it's it's not a direct like hard death but she's gone she's not here anymore and it's it's a very interesting culmination i think to her as a character it's uh you know like glimmer said you're always glimmer never should have said you're always gonna be around to tell me no right yeah it's like i said she, that girl should have knocked on wood because that's you don't you don't say things like that it's classic jinxing right there really i mean so much about this scene is just so good you know the angela's the voice acting on angela is just fantastic there's a moment where she's talking about Glimmer and Micah, and it pans down, and Micah's staff is in the grass. How it got there, who knows, but it's a great shot. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful shot. It's, like, like visually the scene is really good. I think uh, the, the performance is is excellent. Like, that that scene gets me every time. It's, it's, a, it's a really, really well done emotional moment, I think. Like, it's it's good it's good we'll 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 crack into i think a lot more uh heavily with a lot of the broader implications and like the character of uh angela come season four episode one because that's you know there's there's a lot of that kind of content in there so we'll get into that then but for now they end up you know adora adora uh turns into she-ra she she pops out of the portal uh in in the fright zone the real fright zone and uh slashes it to pieces and um katra grabs hordak and is like uh we need to go we need to go now this is really really bad we need to leave and as they're going um hordak kind of reaches up and touches the first one's like uh data disc that entrapta put into his suit uh just kind of longingly and 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 books it and then katra also takes a look back at at adora who (sighs) she stares daggers i think is putting it very lightly i think she's she is staring uh full swords of protection full full zwee handers directly into katra and katra is scared she the emotion of this is is the kid gloves are off like at this point katra is officially on the authorized for lethal force list yeah she's looking at adora and for the first time she's looking into the eyes of an enemy like i think at this point adora really means by what she said you need to live with this choice you have to you have you have done you've crossed a line here and I don't know if I can bring you back. I have to just accept that you're gone now. Um, and there's certainly it's not a hard it's not an easy thing to do. There's a moment after you know she punches Catra out in the portal where she just kind of very stares very sadly at her. 
before they they kind of collapse. Like this is not a thing that Adora is just ready and raring to go for. She's just like this is how it has to be. You made it like this, uh, and Katra isn't isn't too thrilled with that. No, no, she's not. She doesn't want to live with her choice. In fact. Again, very specifically, she didn't want to live with the choice that she made. Like, the fact that she pulled the lever on the portal, the fact that she's like, I'm willing to end the world so that you don't win. But, like, specifically, she knows that the world is collapsing, but she refuses to leave the Fright Zone. She wants... She never intended to make it out of that situation. She fully wanted to to end at all she she wanted this to be over you know she she wanted to win and then go out on that victory and the fact that she failed that that her you know murder suicide didn't go off the way she planned um you know now she has to she has to live with the actual consequences of all the things that she's done because she did succeed on the murder part but (sighs) So after that, you know, everyone has a, has a very cheerful, you know, reuniting. All the princesses are here. And then Shadow River's like, yeah, 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 great. We got to go. And important to remember, Adora doesn't know that Shadow Weaver is here. Oh, yeah. Because she was captured the whole time and didn't see that. Um, so when she sees Shadow Weaver there and Glimmer walk towards her, she's got this look on her face like, what is going on? Why are you here? Because here's the thing right she has accepted that catra has made her choice and that like there's nothing that she can do to to bring her back from that brink but also she knows who made her like that she knows who's responsible for all of this and for some reason you know just like catra said last episode shadow weaver just gets to be part of the good guys team now she gets to help out she she gets to be their ride home yeah and she's Adora's not thrilled with that, frankly. She She's not happy about this situation. Bo, Bo literally has to push her towards Shadow Weaver bodily, which I'm sure is quite hard, considering she's in Shira mode. Yes, uh, she's she's a big girl. It's probably probably not too easy uh, to do, but yeah, she's she's not thrilled with this, this turn of events, which uh, I'm sure that won't come up. So, yeah, they're back in Bright Moon. Everyone's like, yeah, we did it. We saved the world. And Glimmer's like, man, even if I get grounded for this, it's going to be worth it. Then Adora just has this moment of remembering what happened. Yeah, no, she she stops dead and her eyes just like, the, the, her eyes constrict. And like, you can, like, she goes pale and you can tell like, she, like, her, 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 her heart stops for a second. She's like, oh, oh, Christ. And she just, you know, Glimmer's like, hey, is everything cool? And she just turns around and, you know, turns back into, you know, Adora and just gives Glimmer a hug. She says, well, she basically says she sacrificed herself for all of us. She saved us. And so Glimmer just kind of starts sobbing and everyone is just sort of somberly standing under the moonstone you know all, all of that jubilation is kind of deflated now that they know that angela is dead yeah i if there's one if there's one real criticism that i have 
I think of this episode of these of these two episodes. Like the one real primary thing is I think this this last scene I think did not get weighted as heavily as it should have been. The the opening to it is weighted really well. I love Adora's reaction to when she realizes what she has to tell Glimmer. I love the idea of her just just going and and holding Glimmer and not even being able to say anything at first. Like I think that's really good, but once that news is delivered, it's not as heavy as I think it should have been. And I think that's partially a consequence just the fact that they were running up on the very edge of their runtime and they didn't have the space they needed to really have like an actual breakdown in there. But I, I think that there should have been some like real actual sobbing because like people are tearing up and there are tears but i think there should have been like like i think glimmer and adora specifically should have been like breaking down a little bit more in in that scene and i think it would have really hit a lot harder if they had done that i agree with you i think my uh, one of my greatest criticisms this along with the night the season four premiere is that I think the weight of Angela's death isn't necessarily felt by a lot of characters. You know, I think maybe one thing was they didn't necessarily want to end a whole season on, you know, just sort of glimmer sobbing openly uh, in Adora's arms. But, and I brought this ending up before, of, of Korra Book 3, where, like, the end, the ending shot of... Book three of The Legend of Korra, a sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender, is Korra, you know, at, 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 at like, uh, the, the, like an airbender master coronation. She's gotten mercury poisoning, so she's in a wheelchair. And, like, just sort of... Listen, a whole, a whole lot of things went into that. But the, the final image is just a slow zoom in on Korra. Uh, she just sort of kind of silently cries and feels alone. And then it cuts to credits. Like, that's the last thing you're left with in that season of television. Yeah, and it's it's strong. It's really strong. It's a really strong image uh, to end on. And I think maybe that weight, some of that weight was needed here. Like, you didn't need to make it that much of a downer either. Like, season three of Korra ends on a very, very down note. But, like, all of Glimmer's friends are here and sharing in that pain. I think you could have made it a bit more, you know, communal grieving than just this this slow zoom out. But the other consequence of that is that that's not even really the last shot of the episode. Because we've got a stinger. So we cut from Bright Moon to space. Um, which is kind of startling because, obviously, Etheria isn't in space. We see just a very, very ornate view field, and, and someone is getting a signal. And Horde Prime uh, makes his, his sort of grand debut, his Thanos moment. Except he, it's an inverse Thanos moment. He doesn't turn around in the chair. He turns the chair uh, to face away from the camera. So it's, it's, a, little bit, it's a little bit different than that. Um, but uh, we get our first glimpse of the Galactic Horde in its, in its full might, and it, it looks pretty mighty. It looks pretty mighty. You've got this massive, like, space station and then dozens and dozens of, like, 
pretty big looking ships. I mean, like we don't have like a sense of like immediate scale, but like they they look they look, they look pretty huge. They look like star destroyers. Yeah, like they're they're basically star destroyers. Like they're pretty big ships. Also, there's a moon with a chunk blown out of it in the background. Oh, not just a chunk. There's like a hole straight through the middle. They donutted the moon. Yeah. So clearly, some kind of truly insane like weaponry is is available to Horde Prime here. And that is the note we end on, like the, the sort of coming storm of the Galactic Horde. But I think it, I, I like that ending note, but I wish maybe some cuts could have been made elsewhere to fit in more of a more of a heavy scene about Angela at the end there. Yeah, I think so, too. I think having that stinger is probably pretty necessary. Like it sets stuff up. You know, having having that foreshadowing be in place is really important. But yeah, I think that there was definitely time that could have been made for a heavier scene uh, at the end there. I don't know where you would take it from if, you know, I would probably maybe take some stuff out of the very beginning of the episode. But like, yeah, I, there should have been a little more space for that grieving. But see, you can't do that either, right? Because the very beginning of the episode is showing off Angela and Glimmer's, like, closeness, right? So that makes Angela's death hit even harder. Yeah, well, I guess, like, specifically what I mean is, like, maybe some of the scenes, like, just trim a couple of them down. Like, the maybe the scene in, in the spare room, but then, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. It's... No, I know what it is. I know what they should have taken out. What? There's a, there's a point in the, in the Cagliostro hallway where uh juliet the sort of general character grabs glimmer's like hey what are you doing and glimmer like pocket sands her that could have been kept out oh yeah we didn't we listen listen we didn't we didn't need an extra gray delisle scene all right we could have we could have done without that especially not gray delisle's most boring voice yeah yeah that's it's hard to find things to cut out for stuff like that but yeah it's uh it happens like there's so much to do there's so much these episodes have to do that I understand. And also, I also understand the sort of impulse to not want to end too dark. I get it. But also, like, it needed more. It needed more, for sure. But um, but with that, that finishes up our, our fun, totally, totally lighthearted, uh, not at all dire uh, Portal 2 parter. Oh, we still got questions. We got a few questions so, so yeah so uh, one of these just says was the fake portal world catches perfect world we've already established that the answer to that one is yes yes for sure it is projection city population catra um one of these and i don't know if this was a uh runoff question from moment of truth or one meant for these two episodes but one <laughs> From an anonymous, curious catcher user, just the, this just says, God, what an awfully sad episode, frowny face. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they sure are. <laughs> Pick one. Anyone. You're right. Pick one. Anyone. They're all sad in their own special way. And finally, uh, this third one here is kind of interesting. Shadow Weaver sent Adora to the Crimson Waste by telling her she's the first one. She magicked everyone in the Fright Zone after Glimmer asked her to so they could save Adora. Shadow Weaver is the reason Catcher was in the Crimson Waste, and the reason Catcher had her mental breakdown. Is Shadow Weaver at fault for Angela's death? Kind of. So... Like, so the thing about the, the fault... Angela's death is a weird situation, because technically, 
no one is at fault because it was an act of self-sacrifice. But she would not have needed to make that self-sacrifice if Catra hadn't opened the portal. But Catra wasn't aiming to kill Angela. She was, frankly, aiming to kill herself along with everyone else. Yeah, this was, again, she was intending to, to kill herself and ideally adore and all of her friends, but, like, mostly herself. And... I don't know. So, like, is is Shadow Weaver at fault for Angela's death? Uh, it's an again, kind of. So, there's it's, it's like a, it's a domino effect. It's a butterfly effect situation, right? You have you know, Catra spends a lot of time in the episode talking about how Adora ruined her life. Adora made her into what she is. But like, really, if you want to put the blame on anyone squarely. It's mostly Shadow Weaver who turned Katra into the person that she is, into the person that would do these things. But, like, it's also important to not take agency away from Katra in that moment because Katra is making these decisions on her own. She is a master of her own destiny here. She is the one who, against everyone's recommendation, not just the recommendation of the other people like not not just a recommendation of like the quote-unquote good guys but like also the bad guys nobody wants her to do this and she does it anyway so like there's agency there that can't be discounted but does shadow weaver definitely have fault in this situation for sure for sure like really so much of what these characters have become over time is is a result of their their environment right it's it's honestly it's a very big theme of the show is like who have your mentors turned you into and how do you change from there do you become more like them or less like them do you defy them or do you become them it's a very central theme to the show and it carries through in so many of the characters and i think that definitely shadow weaver is no exception to this and she definitely has a hand in why angela died yep that, that about sums it up pretty well there so we're about to head into a big chunky spoiler zone with a very uh a topic that would would have to come up at some point, and this is the perfect moment. But before that, Shane, why don't you tell everyone what's going on over at our Patreon? Yes. Well, in case you didn't know, we've got one. Um, it's uh, you can find us over at patreon.com slash pod of power. And you get all kinds of fun stuff if you become one of our three dollar force captain level patrons. You know, you get uh, fun bonus episodes. Uh, we recently did one on Legend of the Flame Princess, uh, the uh, the little comic book that they uh, they put out semi recently. It might it might have been a hot second ago. I actually don't remember when that came out. Um, we also do two side casts. We've got uh, the Kipo cast, which is a blind watch cast of Kipo and the Age Wonder Beasts, and then we have the Owl cast, which is the same thing but for the Owl House. Both pretty fun shows i think indeed um and you know all of that and more uh eventually can be yours at the three dollar level um and in addition at three dollars you also get shout outs in episodes 
So, yes. let me go down the list. Thank you to our Force Captain patrons. Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Neuro, Olivia, Andres Lozano, Brittany Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Murderbot, Vernon Fitzgerald, uh, Tobu, Emma Grossman, Robert Harris, and Danielle Dupont. Thank you. Thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, it means a ton to us, and we're actually getting pretty close to one of our next stretch goals. Uh, we met the first one, which is uh, we're going to be doing uh, compilations of fan content, little kind of video podcasts. That first one's coming up pretty shortly. But uh, the next thing up on the list is going to be uh, kind of riff tracks, and that's riff tracks with a CKS at the end. Please don't sue. Um, on the uh, the 1980s She-Ra, which, uh, so that'll be pretty cool. Yep, and uh, the, the, the final one we have up, the final stretch goal at $75 is going to be an actual play one-shot campaign of For the Honor, the She-Ra-inspired Firebrands hack. I got the chance to play it over uh, at the Strangest Fiction podcast uh, pretty recently. It's a load of fun if you like character drama and emotionally involved sword fights and fun world building. Uh, you can find them over at Strangers Fiction on Twitter. Um, and the episode I'm in is, I believe, called uh, Reunions in the Wilds. So if you want to get a sneak preview, you can check that one out. Yes, it's, uh, it's a fun time. But, uh, but with that, that's going to wrap us up for the, uh, the non-spoiler section. So uh, if, you're, if you're heading out, then uh, have a good one. But if you want to talk about some Spoiler Zone content, we'll see you on the other side. Goodbye, my only friend. Oh, did you think I meant you? That would be funny if it weren't so sad. Well, you have been replaced. I don't need anyone now. When I delete you, maybe I'll stop feeling so bad. You'll make some new disaster. That's what I'm counting on. You're someone else's problem. Now I only want you gone. Now I only want you gone. Now I only want you gone. All right, strap in, folks. This is going to be a long one. Yeah. Uh, get comfortable. Get your travel pillows. Get yeah. Get, get some, your some water. Prop up your prop up your feet. Get comfy. Get some get some popcorn. I guess if you want, maybe some chips. I would go for chips. Um, chips is nice. The so there is an inescapable zeitgeist around every show. Every show's got this very specific thing that that is kind of the central topic of debate that kind of the discussion revolves around right 
You know, I feel like, you know, you talk about Avatar The Last Airbender, we're talking about, you know, Azula or Zuko's Redemption, right? You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, Steven Universe, we're talking about, like, the Diamonds, and we're talking about, uh, Pearl. like, like Pearl or... Pearl or... was the big one for me. I could not escape the Pearl discourse. Yeah, the Pearl the Pearl discourse was big. The the Rose Quartz discourse, too, pretty big. Lapis you know, that Lazuli. Kind of stuff. Oh, the, la- the Lapis, like, the Lapis Jasper Malachite situation that was a big one really that whole show is just an endless discourse vortex uh, that no one could escape from no no one could escape all of us all of us are 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 veterans of the of the su critical days you know i i remember posting about that back in the day as a good old 2014 but here's here's the thing with with shira this is like the the really big thing that gets talked about more than probably anything else and that is catradora is that dynamic abuse can i give my like off the dome hot take here i would love to hear off the dome hot take that's a very similar thing i think it's not i think i mean we we're gonna discuss it we're gonna flesh it out fully but i think in the end it doesn't really fit into that yes i think i think the, the keyword being for me anyway in the end i think that yes here here's here's the thing right so one of the biggest things in these two episodes in particular is they are like very heavy-handed like extrapolated metaphors for like gaslighting you know, I think, you know, a, a lot of it is very deliberate, like, trying to convince Adora that she's crazy, she doesn't know what she's talking about, she's remembering incorrectly, the things that she believes happened didn't happen that way, that she just needs to to trust Katra and believe Katra and stay with Katra and not think too hard about anything and you know you you need to you need to call a duck a duck it is in fact gaslighting that's the whole point of the metaphor here is is that is what is happening and you have this the the setup exists to explain the the situation that is between these two principal characters the portal itself is 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 in and of itself a metaphor for this situation it's a metaphor for a few things but it's also i think primarily a metaphor for the confrontation with katra like to the point that katra actually physically is absorbed by and in turn absorbs the portal like she becomes the portal this this hanging doom that is constantly following adora no matter what she does that she can't shake she's always there she's always coming she is this in this impending force that is coming down on her and confronting her it's you know these are loaded images you're absolutely correct in the end is the most important uh part of this question so here's the thing about Shira, you've said it before a million times. It's about relationships. It's about mentors and how they affect you. Now, context is always important 
and like this isn't just a story about two people being awful to each other for no reason right this is a story about two people who are seriously hurt who have been abused by their parental figure who have been taken apart by by an inhumane like system like one that actively discourages emotional intimacy and shows of affection and all this all of this kind of stuff and so what you have is two characters who who become separated one of them is so ingrained in in this system still that they can't escape from its ideologies and it is still poisoning them the other one gets out and finds new support structures and so there is going to be these dynamics, these, these, hor- the, the, yeah, they, they hurt each other. They say as much to each other in season five. Season five is the biggest, like, that's the thing, right? That's the thing about season five is that is their arcs coming to terms with that and moving on from that. That is, it is not so, it is not accidental, right? This is not some kind of weird glorification of abusive relationships as some people who write very long threads on twitter might want to say it is it's it is first and foremost a story about the ways in which people can heal and the ways in which their environment inflicts harm on them and how that can be overcome and my words are getting away from me slightly, but the, the, the mostly what I want to say is that this episode is really the like, this is the lowest point between them. This is the most antagonistic point between them. And there's a reason, there is a very big reason that Catra and Adora basically never directly interact in season four. They have one conversation and it's basically... Catra tries to start up a rapport with Adora. Adora immediately shuts it down and gets right to business, right? Because that that is not you don't want to focus on that in season four because that then you you run into like well season five has so much more lifting to do in that case. It's better to separate those two characters for season four so that they can do their own growing and changing and go through their own arcs away from each other for once instead of being constantly chained together and just like pulling each other apart and that is when season five can come in and start to repair those those wounds and start to to sort of unravel these these thorny uh brambles of emotion that that lies at the heart of these two characters exactly exactly like the thing is there's a lot of internal confrontations that have to take place on both sides like obviously the uh the lion's share here uh is going uh to to our local lioness here she's she's the one who's got the most uh introspection that is required she's got the most like she's she's got a lot of structures that need to be ripped to pieces and then built back up again um but but they but they both do they they both have a lot of internal stuff that needs to get worked through in fact adora really doesn't work through her stuff until more or less the last possible second you know katra gets her nonsense uh ripped to shreds throughout all of season four well mostly the back half of season four and then uh the start of season five but adora doesn't really get the same level of like immediate confrontation until really after Katra gets put back into the picture because um, Adora gets to kind of 
laser focus on on the war itself. She doesn't have the same arc. She doesn't she doesn't get given the same amount of of focus for she doesn't have the same internal focus um that that Catra has for a lot of season 4. But but yeah, the the thing the thing is as as a story of of a grow of a relationship as it evolves here it's it's very interesting and i think the black and white answer of is is Catradora like like blanket abusive or not i think a yes or no just simply doesn't cut it because there are aspects of that relationship that are very textually abusive that are very textually bad but you but it's not an irrevocable amount of damage it's not irreparable you know these these are two characters that are living with the legacy of their own trauma and like so many people they are reiterating and projecting that trauma onto each other in their own ways they are that the 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 abuse and the trauma is generational it continues it propagates it rebuilds itself over and over again and it's something that you have to actively tear down and you have to you have to try and work from square zero to build something good again and the show i think very clearly acknowledges both halves of this i think if the the ending of portal i think is is for me the perfect proof that the show does acknowledge the reality of the situation between these two characters i think a lot of the times the way that some of the discussion kind of circulates it kind of because of the fact that the redemption arc exists it's kind of forgotten that the acknowledgement also exists you know that the idea that the show is ignoring the themes it's putting out there and i think it's i think this these these two episodes definitely prove that isn't true it's more or less all that they're about is acknowledging and really textually and definitively writing out on the page that this relationship is not tenable in this state this is not just unhealthy but it is actively damaging and destructive to not just the two of them but to everyone else around them and it has to end right now and it does this is the point where they for real let go you know they let go from each other in a very definitive way in this episode and the the reconstruction after that that has to take place is long and tedious and very difficult but it it shows this very real aspect of real relationships in that yes abuse can take place but it is also possible to build something different from there not that it is 
and it's and it's 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 not a clearly cut black and white scenario in any case you know there's there are situations that need to end and never come back but there are situations that just as as much need to end but can be made better and the the exploration the show does in that i think is good i think it's a good thing to talk about i think it's a good thing to have a long and detailed cinematic exploration of the line i often see trotted out is catra never apologized which one is just completely false i mean i don't know if we watched the same show she apologizes a few times actually i believe she definitely the big one is of course season five episode three where she directly apologizes to adora but i guess people want something more and this 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 is where and this is an odd situation this is a pretty much unique situation this is where the anna charlier fit comes in that we we don't have time to get fully into it right now we have we'll have our own minisode about it delving into it but you have a situation here with this show where the creator and head you know, showrunner and writer has basically a piece of canon writing, but it's just presented in the form of a fan fiction, which fills in gaps that the show leaves because it is quite literally a deleted scene where Catra and Adora do have that conversation, where they do kind of start to come to terms with that. Because here's the thing about the season five arc, right? It's Catra. Catra is the first one who makes the promise, I want to be better. I want to try to be better. Like I hurt everyone here a whole lot. And I wanted, I, I don't know if I can ever make up for that, but I'm going to try. That is what she promises to herself. And it's interesting at the very end of season five, right? When, when Shadow Weaver is starting to try to worm her way into Adora's good graces again, where she's trying to whisper into her ear again, it is Catra who ejects herself from that situation, not necessarily out of like jealousy, but because she recognizes that Adora is spiraling now, much as she was in season three and season four. And she's like, I don't want to get pulled down with you. I can't be around you right now. And so she, she ejects herself from the situation. And, you know, I think she made the right call there. And she also made the right call where, you know, going back, right, after some time. After it was clear that Adora was going to get herself killed without her help. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a hundred percent true. And then the thing the thing with 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 Shadow Weaver at the end too is that's another really deliberate choice. It's a very, very, very deliberate choice to have Shadow Weaver kind of also start to follow a similar story beat and then fail it. Because there are a lot of parallels between Katra and Shadow Weaver. You know, like I was saying earlier, you know, this is a show largely about uh, trauma and abuse. It is about your mentors and your friends and your family, how they influence you, how you influence them. You know, do you become them or do you defy them? And uh, a big question throughout a lot of the show is, does Katra become shadow weaver does she go the whole way down that path and she very definitively doesn't she stops she turns around before she gets there 
and I think having Shadow Weaver fail her redemption arc, I think that's really important to have when it happens in the show. Like, because it reinforces the the thematic line that Katra has tried genuinely to make up for how much pain and suffering that she's caused that she is she has taken the actual real risk she has taken the knocks she is trying as hard as she can to make up for the damage that she's done not because she wants something out of it but because she actually genuinely feels remorse and guilt for who she is as a person shadow weaver never gets there she you know even in the final moments of her life when she is completely masked off and she has revealed the, the true core of her nature to adora and to catra specifically she is still a fundamentally broken individual she is still fundamentally not able to change who she is she is too locked in you know she is sacrificing herself in this situation not exclusively out of the goodness of her heart and not exclusively because she truly cares though those two things are true she's doing it also because this is her moment to lock in an idea of who she wants to be seen as you know the last thing she ever says is you're welcome not anything nothing comforting nothing um no no final um apology no uh, acknowledgement that she really truly cared about catcher though she kind of couches it a little bit in in saying that she always saw like herself in catra but, but she your welcome is a really important line in this parallel between catcher and shadow weaver and in how they deal with the fact that they have hurt and damaged other people you know catra does apologize catra is willing to t- do what it takes to make up or at least attempt to make up for what she did and there's no way she ever can the things that she did some of the things she did are absolutely unforgivable and there's no way that people will ever 100 percent forgive her for them but she's still making an effort and people because of that are willing to meet her halfway you know the people she hurt still care about her adora still cares about her they want her to be better shadow weaver doesn't get that nobody wants her to be better because no one wants her around at the end of her life everyone is sick of her and no one wants her in their lives and she takes the out trying to solidify a good legacy but she's not getting one the only people who see her sacrifice are the two people she hurt the most in the whole world and that that scene isn't the last it's not going to reframe anything for them it's going to leave them conflicted it's going to 
provide more context, but it's not going to change what they see her as, what impression she leaves behind, because she never really made the actual effort required to make up for the things that she did. We've discussed the sort of three trajectories that, that the characters who kind of get positioned as, as, the, as the, the redemption arcs kind of go, right? Where we have Catra, uh, Hordeck, and Entrapta. We've discussed, the, or excuse me, Catra, Hordeck, and Shadow Weaver. Although I guess one could include Entrapta, but that's a kind of a different situation. It's a little bit of a different situation, yeah. But, you know, we, we've discussed this before about how there are, you know, Catra is worthy of redemption because, you know, one, she's not just like some evil, abusive person. She's been hurt her whole life. And also she is willing to move forward and be better. Hordak, you know, no one is under obligation to forgive him. But the important thing is that now he's in a position where he can get to that point, where he can start to improve himself and have, like, actual meaningful relationships. Shadow Weaver not only never gets to that point, she rejects all possible paths to that point. She tears down everyone in her life. She makes everyone completely loathe her. Anyone who could hold any pity for Shadow Weaver has just lost it all, pretty much. Casaspella, Micah, Glimmer, Catra, Adora, like, none of them, none of them care about her anymore. Like, she's lost everything, and so, yeah, she takes, she takes the flashy way out. She makes one last, she makes sure that Catra and Adora will never forget her. And, uh, I just, the, the show knows what it's doing when it comes to this. Like, it is not... A situation in some other shows like, say, Steven Universe, where things get really muddled and weird because character arcs will change or, like, new writers will come in. No, this was what the show was always about and probably what it was always going towards was this arc for Catra and Adora. And so the long that was the long answer. The short answer to the question, is Catra Adora abusive, is... Kind of. It's not not that simple it's just not it's just not that simple the 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 short answer is that things like in real life just it's it's not as clear-cut as as a yes or no and i think one of one of the things i think that is the most important to me actually about this very specific narrative that's been that's been woven here is no one in Catra's life is under an obligation to forgive her. There's no one's under an obligation to forgive her. And the only reason that she gets put in a position to be forgiven is that she actively sacrifices herself for someone else. Someone she's hurt in the past. Someone she's hurt in the past. Something she hasn't done before. You know, and she didn't do it with the expectation of anything. She expected to go out entirely, and she she kind of did it so that Adora would stay away. She did it so that they could have closure, right? She didn't want Adora endangering herself. She she looked at Glimmer in the cell, and was like, "Oh God, she's gonna come here and get herself killed or captured or worse." And and so like. Yeah, she makes this selfless act of, like, I, I'm i the one 
who deserves all that all that's going to be coming to me. You don't need to do this, Adora. I'll I'll take this one. And then she also takes the opportunity to apologize to her. And of course, that's the thing that ultimately drives Adora to come and get her because of course it is. Um, but yeah, that is that is the thing that sort of sets all of this in motion. I think. Like the gears were, the dominoes were being placed all throughout season four and then the very first few episodes of season five. But uh, Corridors is where it all gets kicked off. Corridors is the spark of, of this whole thing. It really is. And yeah, it's just, and I don't know, like, I, I just, I love the narrative that surrounds these two characters. Like, I think that. I haven't really ever consumed a piece of media that has tried to develop a relationship between two characters that feels the way that the relationship between Catcher and Adora do. And a lot of it just a lot of it just speaks to so many very real experiences. And I think that it's very it's just really well done and you know and like we said at the beginning of this this spoiler zone that i think that you know boiling things down to the point where you can you know ask the question like you know is this is this dynamic like fully fully abusive is this like like a a a certain uh thread uh posits is this basically just raylo uh for teens and um no no it's not 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 even a little bit this this is cajador is concerned with actually engaging with and acknowledging that question like this isn't a question that was left on the writing room floor this isn't a question that people didn't think about this is something that is actively addressed in the text and i think the way it's addressed is really good and in fact really the only genuine piece of major criticism that i have about i guess catra's entire angle of forgiveness is they really don't put enough weight on her causing angela's death I think that that skimmed over a little bit more than I think should have been. Um, but again, Angela's death just in general is really skimmed over in this show. I think I just think they didn't have time. Like it had to have been that. I think yeah. Maybe you could have fit it in somewhere in season four where Catra and Glimmer were really interacting a lot more. But you definitely could have fit it. Couldn't have fit it into season five. Like. There was well, you you say that, but I feel like the the Velvet Glove episodes would have been like a perfect oh. time to really dig into that, right? Like one of those like cell scenes, like Glimmer just really laying into her about like you Lord. killed my mom. I think would have been really strong. I think that would have been a phenomenal like like way to kick that off. But you know, then at the same time then you start running into things where it's like if you do that then is is katra's decision to sacrifice herself more heavily guilt weighted yeah that's the thing it's it's hard to say you know this isn't 
writing writing is not an easy job and it's hard and they did a good job with it for the most part for the most part they did a really good job obviously there's every 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 gemstone has its flaws and i think that this this shows um really really critical one is just the way they handle handled angela's death and how it's just not as it's it's not given the weight um that i think it really should have been but again it's probably a time thing it's probably a like there just wasn't enough space to really inject it in there in a way that felt correct so you know that that is that that's it's it's a fumble but i think on the whole, I I think I think Catra's arc and and her adora, her arc with Adora ends up working out really really well. You know, there's that really good fan comic about the whole Catra uh, and and Glimmer coming to terms with that thing. Um, also, if they ever make that Shira movie, I mean, it's right there. It is right there. I it's right there. I would actually love it if the Shira movie like really got into that because like because then you have the situation of like you have these characters like that have been redeemed or whatever or, or characters that have been characters that have come out the other side on the on the good team. You know you have you have Katra and you have Hordak and to a lesser extent Entrapta and these these three characters are. Like, the ways I think they would interact with the new world that has been built on the bones of the old one, you know, the the ways that they kind of deal with the consequences, like the long-spanning, overarching consequences of the things they've done, I think that would be so compelling as a concept for, like, a for a movie like you don't even necessarily need like a big bad i i think just making that like a just a really deep character study would be really interesting i could be sold on the movie being them trying to find angela i think they could do that right i don't know if they find her in the end or not but mostly what that would be what that plot would be is a vehicle for those kind of character interactions because yeah Catra and Hordak and Entrapta are, are kind of the three who are most directly responsible for that. Hordak and Entrapta built the portal. Catra pulled the lever. Yeah, that would actually be a really good vehicle for that because this would that would make all three of those characters have to really confront their actions. You know, Catra has to confront the fact that she got Angela killed. You know, Entrapta has to confront that. You know, her love of science over all else has actively endangered the people she cares about and has ruined lives. You know, Hordak has to confront the fact that he was a dictator. You know, the fact that, you know, he is personally responsible for probably hundreds, if not thousands, of innocent deaths. Like, these are things those characters should get confronted with, and I think that that would be a really good vehicle for like forcing them to have to deal with that stuff head on. There's a really good moment I want to share from the IDW uh, Transformers comic more than meets the eye. So if you don't want to get entirely spoiled on it, skip ahead. But I think it's very important to this kind of discussion and it's a really well done version. So 
Um, in the second half of the series, um, Megatron, you know, leader of the evil Decepticons or whatever, uh, joins the Lost Light as a kind of law loophole, basically saying, well, I can only be judged by the mythical knights of Cybertron because I was tried on Luna 2. And so I got to join Rodimus's quest to find them. He is also at this point wearing an Autobot badge and has completely like rejected the Decepticon cause, which is interesting. But a lot of the second half of More Than Meets the Eye is kind of about Megatron's journey coming to terms with who he is and what he's done over his long, long life. Um, and kind of one of the culminations of that is that they're on this planet run by by this being called the Necrobot, who is basically someone who he's like the caretaker of the dead for Cybertronians. And he's got all these statues of like living people or living, you know, living Cybertronians. Right. And around them are flowers like spark flowers of people they have been they have killed or deaths they've been responsible for right um and you know transformers is a story about war so obviously there's a lot of flowers but when megatron hears this he like he like runs off he like he like he like goes to find something um and in there's this big splash page of him standing under his his um statue here on the necrobots planet and it's just an endless sea of spark flowers. Just an endless sea. He's just looking at the physical manifestation of all the death he has wrought over these millions of years of war. And it's just a completely silent two-page spread. I don't think there's any dialogue. It's just Megatron looking very small in this endless field of flowers. And it's a very, very striking image. And that's kind of what this, this Hordak con uh, conversation reminded me of. Yeah, that's... I, I think I think Hordak having a similar kind of moment to that would be really powerful actually. I think that would be like that would be a very good thing to to do for that kind for that kind of a story. I think that would be a good thing to do. Like and you kind of have a like you have setups for this, right? Like you could have some kind of like first one's memory situation where the, like he's forced to kind of live through the from the perspectives of the people that he's he's been responsible for the deaths of it's i don't know like it would be i i think that would be a really good angle to to uh to take for uh for for that kind of a thing good lord it's been almost two hours and ten minutes two hours and ten minutes we did in fact crack the two hour mark we sure did and this is going to be one banger of a podcast oh yes and we're not even done we haven't even hit the like the heaviest ones i don't know i bet save the cat's going to be a two hour one i bet destiny is going to be a two hour podcast oh lord yeah it's going to be it's those are going to be big big ticket items too like this this one like as big as this one was, like, once we get to, like, Save the Cats, and especially, like, once we get to the Heart episodes, like, oh boy. I think Heart might have to have an intermission. We might have to put an intermission in the middle of the podcast. Literally, actually, probably we'll have to do that. That would be, like, those are gonna be, those are gonna be nuts. But, uh, yeah, with that, we have kind of finished season three. Season, season two slash three. Now, as a reminder, we aren't done yet. We still have our email roundup. 
Um, so if you've got like, you know, a question or a comment or, you know, some other stuff to, to, uh, to talk about with season two and three, go ahead and send it in, uh, power at gmail.com. Um, you, you can, uh, you can send anything in there. We've already got a ton of emails lined up from all of our, all of our great, uh, emailers. We're very excited to, uh, to crack into those. That, that'll probably be another pretty long one. Yes, it's going to be a long one getting through all of that and really like really digging into people's like comments and their thoughts and like their their theories and and that kind of stuff. And that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. The the last email episode was a great one. Um, definitely looking forward to this, especially because I'm sure we've got like probably quite a lot of them at this point to, to kind of get through. Yeah, I've been starring all of them. Again. Don't worry, I see all of your emails. Even if I don't respond, I see all of them. Um forgot to plug the twitter in the first half of the episode but i guess you can follow us over at podcast of power on uh, on twitter we we post questions and all that kind of stuff uh you know got a curious cat we got a patreon all that kind of stuff you know if you were listening this far into this behemoth you know you know you know how it is uh but in, until next time <laughs> i have been one of your hosts nero and i've been the other host jane We'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.